So guys, if you're like Faye and I and you have trouble kind of just getting in gear to study or you need something quick and easy for after those long days in the hospital, we have an exciting resource for you. Nick and I have partnered up with the OBG Project to bring you more amazing content every single day. So while Nick and I can record a podcast a week, um, we can't keep up with the OBG Project because they're coming out with new content every single day in case, you know, a podcast a week isn't enough for you. Their content is excellent and like Faye said, is updated every single day. There's a variety of things ranging from pregnancy to gynecology, all the latest updates as well as latest in clinical trials, things you may not even read every day. And, you know, Nick and I talked about if this podcast were to get support, who would we get support from? And we decided that, you know, we would only be talking to our supporters about things that we personally use and enjoy and think are useful. So the OBG project is all of those things. If you're a fourth year resident, you can get access to a premium subscription service from the OBG project called OBG First. Check out our website at creogsovercoffee.com on how you can get signed up and get free access to this super awesome subscription service for one year. So OBG First is going to be a daily email or text to your phone that includes a clinical summary of the most relevant research paper. And you'll also be notified when important guidelines come out from important societies such as ACOG, SMFM, SOGC, CDC, etc. It's all available at the tap of a button on your phone too, which is awesome. If you're a fourth year resident, go ahead and sign up. All they require of you is your email address as well as your program just to verify that you are a fourth year resident and they'll send you a coupon in the, your email that you can use to get one free year of OBG First. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. And this is Nick. And this is Kriogs over, over coffee. coffee. Today we have with us Dr. Jay Huber. Dr. Huber is a third year fellow in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at the Warren Alpert School of Medicine at Brown University and Women and Infants Hospital, Rhode Island. Welcome, Jay. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Jay, today you're going to talk with us about the hypothalamic pituitary and ovarian axis. We're excited. Good, good. Yeah, my, my goal today is to try and demystify some of the things that people get confused about with the normal menstrual cycle. I mean, even as a third-year resident, I still feel very confused by it all. Um, so I'd love to hear it all over again. So Jay, what are, what are some of the learning objectives? What do you want people to take away from this talk? One of the main learning objectives is going to be that you recognize that the hypothalamus communicates with the anterior pituitary, which then communicates through endocrine methods with the ovary, and then the hormones that the ovary releases actually drives the endometrial uh, proliferation as well as secretory phase. I think the second learning objective here is going to be uh, taking and dividing the two ovarian as well as endometrial phases and understanding exactly how those two should correlate. I think if you can understand how a normal menstrual cycle works, it's much easier to treat uh, or uh, identify how to fix issues when they, ar when they arise in the office. Cool. All right, Jay. So, so take it away. I feel like, you know, we've heard this chalk talk before and it's excellent, which is why we're having you here today. So where do we start in terms of the HPO axis? 
So some believe that it's the brain that runs the show, but it's actually the ovary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ovary is has a tremendous negative feedback control over the hypothalamus. Uh, but for uh, simplicity's sake, let's start in the brain. The hypothalamus, as you all know, releases a, a molecule or a hormone called GnRH or gonadotropin-releasing hormone. And that GnRH is released in a pulsatile fashion. GnRH then, in simple, simple terms, goes to the anterior pituitary and stimulates the anterior pituitary to release gonadotropins, which would be FSH and LH. Depending on what phase of the cycle we're in, now from the ovarian perspective, that's the follicular phase or the luteal phase. From the endometrial perspective, we're talking about the proliferative and the secretory phase. And in the normal menstrual cycle, the ovarian phases line up with the endometrial phases. So depending on what phase of the cycle we're in, the anterior pituitary will release FSH versus LH. The FSH then is, uh, travels to the level of the ovary and stimulates a follicle to develop to become that dominant follicle that is then later ovulated. As many of you know, in the ovary, there is a cohort of follicles that is actually brought up uh, as preantral follicles. At the beginning of a menstrual cycle, let's call it day one, there's a number of follicles that are competing to become that one dominant follicle. Let's say between five and 25 in a given cycle. As the days go on from day one through day five to six or the early follicular phase, one of those antral follicles will outcompete the others to become the dominant follicle. Once that dominant follicle gets large enough and is stimulated enough by the FSH, there's an elevated level of estrogen that then becomes a positive feedback to the level of the hypothalamus. The GnRH pulsatility changes to preferentially stimulate LH release Mm -hmm. from the anterior pituitary the anterior pituitary then has an LH surge. That LH surge causes that dominant follicle to reinitiate the meiotic process, become a mature follicle, and that mature follicle is then ovulated. Now, at the same time, during this follicular phase of the ovary, the endometrium is also responding to the estrogen that is being produced by that dominant follicle. Once the follicle releases the oocyte, those follicular cells then become the corpus luteum. Mm -hmm. This typically is around day 14 to 16 of the cycle. That corpus luteum then begins to produce progesterone. Progesterone then travels to the level of the endometrium and creates a specialized tissue called decidua within the endometrium. That decidua is very important for the process of implantation. So if we have fertilization, then the the fertilized embryo has the necessary nutrients as well as many of the structural molecules within that specialized lining, the decidua of the endometrium. So if that ovulated egg traverses through the fallopian tube and there's no fertilization, what happens is that that there is no stimulus for the corpus luteum to continue to make progesterone. So by day 23 to 25, that endometrium goes through the progesterone withdrawal, and that's how we have endometrial shedding, a menstrual period. 
If there is fertilization, the embryo from day one begins to produce a hormone called HCG, or human chorionic gonadotropin. The main role of that HCG, or the early HCG, is to have a positive feedback at the level of the corpus luteum so that the corpus luteum continues to create progestational hormone, or progesterone. The signal from the embryo tells the corpus luteum, hey, I'm still here. I need you to continue to produce this hormone because without this hormone, we will actually get a progesterone withdrawal and shed this decidualized tissue. So there's really like this very delicate song and dance between the brain and the ovaries and the endometrium, I guess you're saying, Jay. Absolutely. Jay, that's an awesome uh, explanation of the menstrual cycle. So it seems like, you know, for the menstrual cycle to work, the brain, the endometrium, and the ovary all have to coordinate in this cyclical pattern. So like what happens if, if some of that gets disrupted? That's absolutely correct. One of the keys to a normal menstrual cycle is to maintain this cyclic pattern of not only gonadotropins, but also hormones released by the target tissue. Um, let's take, for example, a PCOS patient. Uh, PCOS patients uh, are, have traditionally been uh, known to, to be anovulatory. And much of the reason for their anovulation is because they are locked in follicular phase, right? So from the ovaries perspective, they're locked in the follicular phase and there's never a dominant follicle recruited. To go back to our GNRH pulsatility and the pulsatile fashion of, of its release, that depends on, that will determine whether the anterior pituitary releases FSH or LH. And that is ultimately driven by estrogen and the increase and decrease of estrogen levels based on where we are in the menstrual cycle. For a PCOS patient, their estrogen levels remain tonic. They're not cyclic. So the feedback to the level of the hypothalamus and to the level of the anterior pituitary is tonically inhibitory. So there's never this release or there's never this increase of FSH to assist that cohort of antral follicles to develop a dominant follicle that would be destined to ovulate. All right, Jay, thanks again. That was an awesome summary of the menstrual cycle, and hopefully we've managed to demystify it for the listeners out there. Faye, why don't we take a stab at uh, summarizing this? All right, I will try my best. When we're thinking about the menstrual cycle and the HPO access, I at least start to think about it in kind of two phases. The first half of the cycle, usually we say days 1 through 14, we consider in the ovary to be the follicular phase, and in the endometrium, we consider it to be the proliferative phase. And after that, we will have ovulation, and then after ovulation in the ovary, we will have the luteal phase, um, or in the endometrium, what's described as the secretory phase. Again, it's important to know from the beginning the different components of the HPO access and how the interplay happens between all four of these components, really, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the ovary, and the endometrium. We'll post a guide on our website for all you visual learners out there so that way you can reinforce each of these details as the cycle changes from the first 14 days to the second 14 days. All right, Jay, thank you again so much for coming on this podcast with us and teaching us about the menstrual cycle. It was my pleasure. Hopefully it 
helps clear up a few things. All right, so once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. If you enjoy our podcast, go ahead and go on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or any of your other podcatchers and give us a five-star rating and review. Find us online at www.creogsovercoffee.com where we've got some great resources or you can reach out to us. You can find us also on Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee, on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, or you can support us on Patreon for some cool swag or a shout out on the show, www.patreon.com slash Coffee. Have a suggestion for the show or picked up a mistake that we made in our previous podcast, go ahead and send us an email at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>